If you follow military affairs, you can be forgiven if you're confused about proposals for space. The White House has one version for a space force, the Senate a second, and the House a third. Here to help us sort it all out, the Associate Director of the Aerospace Security Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, Caitlin Johnson. Ms. Johnson, good to have you on. Thanks, Tom, for having me. First of all, what are the three proposals? I think the president's idea goes the furthest in creating almost a another branch of the military? Correct. So when President Trump first announced um, his intention to create a space force, he intended it to be a full department of the military, so equal to the Navy, the Department of the Navy and the Department of the Army and the Department of the Air Force. Now, what's actually happened is that has been kind of walked back a bit, and what the administration is now proposing through a, a legislative proposal coming out of the Department of Defense is a separate service for military space. So much like how the Marine Corps is within the Department of the Navy, um, the Space Force would be within the Department of the Air Force. Which it is now, basically. Yeah. So basically now the uh, most of United States uh, military space assets, their national security space enterprise, about 80%, give or take, is located within the Air Force. The Army and the Navy both have their own um, smaller operations, um, mainly focusing on, on ground systems and a few others that make sense for their roles. Uh, but yes, most of it is already in the Air Force. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of comedy about the Space Force and how we're going to have, you know, Space Marines and Star Wars and all this, this great stuff. But in reality, this is just a bureaucratic reorganization of jobs that already exist. Uh, into a better structure that the proponents of the Space Force hope will help elevate space, create a better career path for these professionals, um, and really bring the focus for the budget on space and and speed up some of that acquisition process, which is notoriously uh, long. And even though it is a bureaucratic rearrangement and so on, the nature of space and the strategic importance of space and the dangers to space assets are changing quite rapidly, though, also, aren't they? Yes, correct. So um, in the, the first Gulf War, it was the, the first time the United States really brought space into a combat zone, and it um, seriously changed the game. You know, and now we rely on things like GPS for Uber, but you know, 20, 30 years ago, that wasn't um, possible, and, and um, other countries are taking note of how space enables and supports the U.S. military and gives us that edge of advantage. And they're trying to catch up. So we see Russia reinvesting a lot in space uh, assets and counter space assets. Obviously, they have a long history from being uh, the former Soviet Union uh, to build on. And then you have China, which is just, you know, throwing a lot of money and talent into their space programs to also try to keep up. So uh, for a very long time, the United States has had the most uh, satellites on orbit, um, and China is is quickly catching up. It's actually bypassed Russia as the second most, uh, um, the country with the second highest uh, amount of satellites on orbit. That's the case for space assets and counter space weapons. And in the United States, there's quite a number of commercial companies that are launching low orbit fleets of satellites, low ex- inexpensive small satellites to do commercial types of communications. But doesn't the military also view these and these nascent kinds of efforts as possible platforms for their needs in the future? Yeah, I would uh, definitely. The U.S. military has a long history of using commercial space communication satellites in particular 
to support military operations. Um, and so as new companies get into the game, you, you see companies like OneWeb and Planet and SpaceX, a launch company, also building satellites. Um, and I can imagine that the, the U.S. military is looking at that and, and thinking that that could be a great opportunity if jo- it pans out. We're speaking with Caitlin Johnson, Associate Director of the Aerospace Security Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I guess the bottom line is there is not just a bureaucratic but also a strategic case then to be made for reorganizing the approach to space? Yes, definitely. Proponents, of course, really think that being able to separate it and focus a lot more effort on it um, by having it slightly independent from the Air Force will be able to create new policies and doctrines and operational strategies to elevate space to um, be able to compete in, you know, in the great power competition or whatever's coming next for the United States. And what about Capitol Hill? There's the Senate version, the House version. They all have their little takes beyond what the legislative proposals coming from the White House or from DOD to the Hill. What's going on there? Right. So when the Department of Defense submitted their um, legislative proposal to Congress back in March, um, it's pretty open-ended. So this um, their proposal is is very flexible for the department um, with not a lot of reporting requirements back to Congress. Um, flexibility in being able to hire, um, develop a headquarters, uh, manage a a bigger budget, um, all of these things that you can imagine the Department of Defense wants to be able to kind of sort out what they think they need for a new space force, a new military space service. Now, the House and the Senate saw that piece and said, whoa, that's, you know, too much free reign. Um, And so they've kind of put a little heavier hand into developing this new service. It's a big deal. A new military service hasn't been created um, since the United States Air Force. And so people really have their eye um, on this within Congress and want to make sure it's done in a correct way. So the Senate proposal uh, is is pretty heavy-handed on on the um, reporting requirements back to Congress. It's intended to be, um, it's intended to be budget neutral. Um, but it also has a big focus on acquisition, which the Senate seems to think is a, a, a big issue within the space military space community that uh, needs a little help to, to be able to speed up and get on budget and um, back on time. And what about the House version? Sure. The House version is slightly less uh, heavy-handed than the Senate version, but they still have quite a few reporting requirements. Um, they also are hoping to develop a career path um, and, and budget, and they have a lot of, of language in there on that. Uh, the House version is actually almost identical to a previous NDAA amendment. Representative Mike Rogers and Jim Cooper in 2017 introduced language for the 2018 NDAA to create a Space Corps, a separate military service for space. So this is an ongoing discussion for them. And they were able to re-up it, and it kind of seems like now the time is right, and there's more people on board. And so I expect something to come out in conference, um, creating a separate service for military space. It, it kind of seems like all the pieces at least a slightly align on doing something. And what about the Space Development Agency, which is a small entity that has been operating for some time on the acquisition front? How does that fit into the picture? Sure. The Space 
Development Agency is um, a new acquisition agency that was created. It's, it's led underneath Mike Griffin, who leads um, the Defense Department's Research and Engineering Group, and the intent is for this agency to be able to move more quickly, establish kind of a proliferated lower Earth orbit uh, satellite concept for missile defense. There has been some turmoil recently. The intended head of the SDA recently resigned, and so now the leadership of that organization is in flux, and people are kind of wondering if this is really going to pan out um, because it, it doesn't seem like the most stable organization, and it's you know, only a few months old. So lots of decisions yet ahead. Caitlin Johnson is Associate Director of the Aerospace Security Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own to always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem-solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. <laughs> 